Well, good morning again to you all, everybody. Let's do some more singing. Uh, 296, all the way. We've heard about all this disease, so much trouble in this world, but really, our Savior leads us all the way through it. <clears throat> what would you do without Christ? Really. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercies, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith with Him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus do with all things well. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus do with all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, leads me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. All the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of His love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed immortal wings its light to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Amen. Well, can you folks get back on your feet for me? Let's, uh, Sue walked in today, and she's been sick for a few weeks, as you know. She said, come on, we got to do something peppy. i got to get back and got to pick my fingers up. So we're going to do What Manner of Man Is This? There we go. Sue, we might slow it down just a touch for everybody to get the words in. What manner of man is this? Who died upon the tree? What manner of man is this who set the captives free? He walked upon the water and he calmed the raging sea. What manner of man is this who gave his life to me? The prophets called him Emmanuel, the prophets called him a stone. And the angel called him Jesus before he was born. The world upon his shoulders, he was walking all alone. He was seen come from Basra with dyed garments on. What manner of man is this who died upon the tree? What manner of man is this who set captives free. He walked upon the water and he calmed the raging sea. What manner of man is this who gave his life to me? Well, Ezekiel saw him coming as a wheel in a wheel. And old John talked about him with the book of seven seals. And Paul gave his description as brighter than the sun and if you don't know his name lord then you had better run come on winner of man is this who died upon the tree what manner of man is this who set the captives free he walked upon the water and he calmed the raging sea what manner of man is this who gave his life for me? Thomas, doubt me no more. See these holes in my side. 
Behold, I am your Savior by Peter, Christ denied. And now that I am risen, all power in my hand. Go and preach my gospel to every living man. What manner of man is this who died upon the tree? What manner of man is this who set the captives free? He walked upon the water and he called the rage to see. What manner of man is this who gave his life for me? What manner of man is this who gave his life for me? <laughs> now, can you imagine being strung out on drugs or something like that, living on the street, and then you come in here and sing that? We're, we're all in our Williamson County homes and everything, so I don't think we appreciate it quite as much. But can you imagine Jesus saving you from all of the things that he saves us from? We ought to be hooping and hollering. All right. Y'all can be seated, I think. Oh, remain standing. Remain standing. We're going to read the Word of God. So why should you be up and down like yo-yos, right? We're going to let you stand, keep standing up. Good to see all of you today. I was just writing down some more names of people who seem to be ill, who are sick, who are missing in the ranks. And we need to pray for them. Ed Adamowicz. Ed's not here today, is he? All right, we're going to put something on the screen then. You got anything you put on the screen? Now, you see that? That is an address if you want to give. Ed has uh, a problem with his stomach, can't, stomach cancer, very severe. And if you want to give anything for a meal, uh, you use that address. Use that address if you want to give something to help provide food for them when they get to that particular uh, stage. We want to remember Lee Barton. They've, Joe Turner has already mentioned these. Gary and Ann Scott. There's a card out there when you go out on a podium. Write something to Gary. Shirley has had problems one way or the other, and today she has a rotator cuff problem. Marie, we're glad you're here. Maria Dalton is here today. We're glad Sue's over here playing. We missed you, Sue. Sue was gone for a couple of weeks. We appreciate Keith playing for us. We want to remember Calvin LaPetri in the loss of his wife, Judy. And I noticed that Benny and Teresa Hargrove are not here today. I hope they're not sick or ill. There may be some others that I've, that I've missed, but let me encourage you to contact them. You can call them. I'll send them a text whatever you'd like to do, and let them know that we have missed them. I want to take the opportunity also to worship, to uh, welcome all of those who are tuning in by YouTube, uh, Ustream, or Sermon Audio Video, and I want to welcome those of you who are visiting with us here today. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43. So we're getting into a new chapter today, and I'm going to read. I hope you can stand up for these verses. I usually just limit it to a verse or two. But a lengthier passage today. Genesis 43 the famine was terrible in the land. And it came to pass, when they had eaten up the corn which they brought out of Egypt, their father, that's Jacob, said to them, Go again and buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, Judah is one of the sons, and he said, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him with us, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face. Translation, Don't come here before me again, unless you have your brother with you. 
That's Benjamin. And Israel. Now you notice that they're calling Jacob Israel here. And Israel said, Wherefore, why did you deal so ill with me as to tell the man that you had a brother? <laughs> why did you even tell him you had a brother? And he said, Well, the man asked us straightly. He was very upfront with us. He looked us right in the eyes. He was very businesslike. And he asked us of our state, and he asked us of our kindred, our family, and he said, is your father alive? And he said, do you have another brother? And we told him, according to the tenor of these words, could we know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah spoke up and said to his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. That is, we may live, we may get food, so that we don't starve to death. I will be surety for him. And of my hand shalt thou require him, if I do not bring Benjamin back to you, and set him before you, and let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we'd have returned. If we'd gone ahead and gotten this straight and gone on, we'd be back by now. And Father Israel said, If it must be so, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels. Carry down the man a present, a little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds. Take double money in your hand. The money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go unto the man, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother, the one he's holding there, Simeon and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of, of his word, and let God's people say praise the Lord, and you may be seated. Now, in chapter 42, which we spent quite some time in, we saw the first journey into Egypt by the brothers of Joseph. And in this chapter, as we've just read, we are faced with their second journey. The decision to make a second journey, of course, was necessary because they were running out of food. You remember that the Pharaoh had a dream. He had two dreams. And they called a young man out of prison to interpret his dreams, that young man was Joseph. And Joseph not only told him what his dreams meant, but he told him what to do about the coming famine. His two dreams were interpreted as saying, God is going to send a famine in this part of the world. Now, he's going to give you some time to prepare for it. He's going to give you seven years. Because for seven years, you're going to have everything good. Everything will be growing. Everything will be green. Everything will be plentiful. No problem with that. But after seven years, then you're going to have seven years of famine. And this entire part of the world are going to be starving to death. But Joseph said, here's what the Pharaoh can do. He can build some storage bins. Start building them now. Build those storage bins, and by the time the seven years of plenty have gone, I mean, think about it, folks. If you could read the newspaper and know what the stock market and the economy, not only of this nation, but of the world, was going to be for the next seven years, it would be a boon to you as to how you could plan for it. 
If you knew, for example, that a stock that's now a penny stock was going to be worth $1,000 a share, you'd go ahead and load up on it now. And in seven years, why, well, you'd be a very wealthy person. So this is exactly what happens here. So Joseph said, you build these storage bins, and then what happens when people begin to run out of food, they're going to come to you to get food. That's going to enrich you. And then after that, they're going to come and be willing to sell their animals to you. They're going to sell their land to you. They're going to sell their houses to you. And Pharaoh's wealth and power will be greatly increased. And Pharaoh was so impressed. He made Joseph the governor of Egypt. So he went from the jailhouse to the White House. And he became the governor of all of Egypt. And so eventually his family, who had sold him into slavery, ran out of food. And we saw in chapter 42 all that was happening in that first journey. When they came and appeared before the governor, not knowing that the governor was their brother that they had sold into slavery 23 years ago. They sold him when he was 17 years old. And now, uh, I said 23 years ago, 13 years ago, when he was 30 years old, he became the governor. And so now they are going to a second journey in chapter 43 because they have run out of food. What happened on that first journey when they appeared before the governor? Well, the governor recognized them immediately. Joseph recognized his brothers immediately, but they didn't recognize him. And he played a little game with them. And he said, I'm going to lock all of you up till I decide what to do with you. And he put them in jail for three days. And after three days, he said, tell you what, I'm going to hold one of you. You go back home and you bring that other brother back up here, Benjamin. And when I see him, that I'm going to release you. I'll release Simeon. He kept Simeon in jail and tied up and let the rest of them go home. But he did some other things. He not only put the corn in their bags, but he told his servants, return their money. Don't let them know about it. Just put their money back in their bag. And on the way home, when they stopped at a place to water their animals to get some food, one of them discovered his money in his bag, and they were all frightened. They did not know what had happened. And naturally, and I brought you a study on guilt, they had all kinds of guilt come upon them because what they had done years ago to their brother now is coming back to haunt them. And in chapter 42 and in verse 28, it says, They said one to another, What is this that God has done unto us? They went back home. They told their dad what happened. And when they opened up all their sacks, in every sack, every man's money was in his sack. And it says that not only were the brothers at this point frightened, but also Jacob, their father. Verse 35 of chapter 42, It came to pass as they emptied their sacks that every man's bundle of money was in his sack, and with both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob said, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is not. He thought Joseph was dead. Simeon is not. They're holding Simeon captive. And now you want to take Benjamin into Egypt. I am not going to let it happen. So that's what leads up to chapter 43. The, the famine has continued and has worsened, we find there in verse 1. And Jacob suggests that his sons go back to Egypt for food and then this discussion that we've just read entails 
Judah said, look, the man told us, and he was very deliberate. <laughs> he said, don't you come back here unless you have your brother Benjamin. Now, I don't think I have to rehash everything, but most of you know that Joseph and Benjamin had the same mother. The dad of all of these boys, of course, is Jacob, but there were four different women involved, two wives and two handmaids that were the mothers. But Benjamin was the blood brother of Joseph, who is now the governor of Egypt. So there's this protest by Judah in verses 3 through 5. Then there's Jacob's complaint in verse 6 and uh, verse 7. And then there's Judah's compassionate offer. He said, look, I'll take responsibility. Send Benjamin with me. And if I don't bring him back here and set him right here in front of you, let me bear the blame forever. So Jacob says, if it has to be this way, then it has to be this way. And so you go ahead and you go in. And he said, tell you what. He said, maybe that was a mistake about that money. Could have been a mistake. But I want you to, and just in case, I want you to double your money. Look at verse 12. I want you to double your money. Chapter 43 and verse 12. You, if you had $100 in each sack, I want you to take back $200. Each one of you. Double your money. Take it back. And I want you to carry this fellow a special, some special gifts. I want you to give him, verse 11, I want you to give him some balm and some honey and some spices and some myrrh and some nuts. And uh, the nuts is probably pistachio nuts and some almonds. And then you double your money. And then he said, on top of all of that, <laughs> he said, I'm going to pray, verse 14. I'm going to pray like I've never prayed before, that God Almighty will give you mercy before the man. Now, my dear friends, it is one thing to know about someone. And it is quite another thing to actually know them. There's hardly anyone in the United States that has not heard of Jesus of Nazareth, whom we believers call the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. But I believe in the United States in spite of all of the millions of professions of faith, that there are few who know him. They know about him, but to know him is a totally different matter. In like manner, in, in Egypt, everybody in Egypt had heard of the one they called Zathnathpaneah. So that was the name that Pharaoh gave Joseph. It has a double meaning. You might remember months ago we had a study on his name. It, remains, it, remain, it means the revealer of secrets, and it means the savior of the world. And everybody in Egypt knew who Zathathpaneah was, the revealer of secrets, the man that had told Pharaoh how to build these bins and prepare for this famine that they're now in the middle of. Only Joseph could reveal the secret of the Pharaoh's dreams. Only Joseph knew how to save the Egyptian world from the coming famine. Joseph alone knew the will of God, and he was given authority from heaven to fulfill it. Joseph alone knew the will of the Pharaoh, and was given the authority by the Pharaoh to perform it. And it is the same with the man called Jesus. He alone can reveal the secrets of the mind, the will, and the purpose of God Almighty. 
He said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, No man knows the Father but the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Again, Jesus said, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. John 1 and verse 18. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way to God. I am the truth of God. I am the life of God. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no knowing or going. Pharaoh said of Joseph in Genesis chapter 41, verse 44, he said to Joseph, Without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. And the Bible says that heaven has said of Jesus, Without thee not a hair can fall from a head, not a sparrow can fall to the ground. Not a worm can wiggle, not a dog can bark without thee. Without thee, no one can live or die. Without thee, a nation cannot rise or fall. And yet, who is Jesus to the world? Who is Jesus to the world? Is Jesus Christ superstar? Mary Magdalene sings, he's a man. He's just a man. And to the world, Jesus is just a man. Who was Joseph to his family? Let's find out. I want want you to notice something. Look in your Bibles now, chapter 43. Look at verse 3. Judah spake to Jacob, his father, and he said, Except the man did solemnly, the man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face except your brother be with you. Verse 5, The man said unto us, You shall not see my face except your brother be with you. Verse 6, Israel said, Why did you deal so ill with me as to tell the man whether you had a brother? Verse 7, And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? Verse 11, And Israel, thus Jacob, said, Take the best fruits in your hand, in your vessels, and carry down the man a present. Verse 13, he said, take your brother, take Benjamin, and arise and go to the man. And verse 14, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother, Simeon, and Benjamin. If I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. Now, isn't that something? You'll notice that Jacob and his sons refer to Joseph as the man. Hey, we have a saying here, man, you the man. (laughs) You the man. Well, that's kind of the emphasis here from this language from the Hebrew. Joseph is the man. He's the man. He may be a man, but he is the man in Egypt. And as I said, when somebody spoke of Zathnathpaeania, everyone knew they were talking about the man. (laughs) The man was the governor. He was second only to Pharaoh in position and in power. You know what? Nobody knew him by his God-given name. Jehovah has added That's what Joseph means. Joseph means Jehovah has added. No one knew that the man was a brother of many brothers and that his father was a nomadic guy down in Canaan 
living in a tent, whose name was Jacob, through whom the God that made this world was working to fulfill his eternal purpose and will. Who was Jesus the man? Well, he was a man. He was a man. We have problems here. One of the problems, the crisis in theology today is in Christology. We've got to know who Jesus is before we have any input or any, put any weight to what he has done. He was a man. He was a flesh and blood man. Do you realize that there is a man in glory? You realize that there is a man born of a woman, made under the law, who sits on the throne of all authority for the universe? There's a man. Listen to what the scripture says. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word was made flesh, became a man, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Though he was equal with God, Jesus made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, listen now, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We have a lot of problems, as I say, with the person of Christ. They had a whole synod that met centuries ago to discuss the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call it the hypostatic union. H-Y-P-O, static union. You know what hyper is. If you've ever had any kids, you know what hyper is. That's above and beyond but hypo is under. When you go to the doctor, as I did this week, I got a hypodermic needle in my arm. The dermis is the skin, and the hypodermic needle goes under the skin. And so when we talk about the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, we say that there was a hypostatic union. When Jesus died on the cross, perhaps we would have to explain what we meant. We might say that God died, but God can't die. If God did die, everything in the universe would go into nothing. But there was added, God added unto, took under himself a human nature. So that the man Jesus was both man and God in one person. He was the Son of God. He was God the Son. But he was the culmination of the hypostatic union. And God has exalted a man to the throne of all power... The Bible says, at the mention of his name, Philippians chapter 2, the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and earth and hell should bow. They do bow in heaven and hell. They will bow on earth. Genesis 41, 43, we read about Joseph that the Pharaoh made Joseph to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, bow the knee. You see, Joseph is a picture, he's a type, he's a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the man, 
is the only thing that stands between the lost sinner and eternal hell. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5. And like Joseph, Jesus is the man who is the governor. Only Joseph was the governor of Egypt. Jesus is the governor of the universe. Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 9, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, that's the government of the universe, shall be upon his shoulder. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Read it, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. He's the man whose name is Jesus. But whereas Joseph means Jehovah or Yahweh has added, Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. In other words, Jesus is heaven's Joseph. And, as we'll see, all of these boys, especially Benjamin and Joseph, point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph was added to save his own family in the Egyptian world, and Jesus the man was added to save his family, the family of God, from every generation, every tongue, every nation, every tribe, from every generation. Joseph was the man who was the savior of Egypt, and Jesus is the man who is the savior of the world. Joseph was born to save his brothers in their time of adversity. Jesus was born to save his brothers in their time of adversity. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Joseph was a brother to the sons of Israel, Jesus is a brother to the sons of God and the daughters of God. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He came to his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons, the privilege or the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So I ask you, are you in trouble? Are you in trouble with the king of creation? Jesus is a brother born for adversity. Do you find yourself in a spiritual world of famine? Jesus is the brother born for adversity who has the plan to get you through the famine. As a man, Joseph's word was to be feared and heeded. He determined the conditions of access to him. Would you look in chapter 43? Again, back to verse 3. He said, The man said, You shall not see my face except your brother be with you. And verse 5, he said to us, You shall not see my face except your brother be with you. He determined <laughs> the conditions of access to him. Guess who determines the conditions, who sets the conditions? Guess who's the means of access to God Almighty? Well, just listen. Instead of us turning, I've written these down so I can read them to you. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Ephesians 2.18, through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Ephesians 3, verses 11 and 12, according to the eternal purpose whence he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Joseph was a man deserving of presence. So Jacob said in verse 11, you take him some presents back. But he didn't need any presents. He's the governor. He's got everything at his disposal. Joseph the man is the only one who has the authority and the power 
to release the prisoner, which is Simeon, their brother. Joseph, the man, is the only one who can supply all of their needs. And Jesus is the only man that can deliver us from our spiritual prison house and supply the forgiveness of sins against God. This is why we pray in the name of Jesus. Because the name of Jesus gets the attention of heaven. Don't approach God just because you're in trouble unless you call upon him in the name of his son. I'm appalled when I hear at public gatherings today and when they open the Congress of the United States in Washington, presidential inaugurations and sporting events and all that, that men and women are afraid they might cause offense by praying in the name of the man, Jesus Christ. How about offending him? We're going to offend some Muslims, or we're going to offend some Jews, or we're going to offend some Hindus, or we're going to offend some Buddhists, or we're going to... What about offending God? We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, in conclusion, and I've tried to stay simple today. I want you to be able to understand what I'm saying. Let me give you seven significant lessons, brief seven significant lessons from what I've delivered to you thus far, from these 14 verses of this 43rd chapter of Genesis. Number one, the family of Jacob could not survive the famine without help from the man. That's clear, isn't it? His family cannot survive. If his family doesn't survive, all the promises that God made to Abraham go down the drain. The reason God sent a famine was to move his people down into Egypt. He moved them down into Egypt by moving Joseph into Egypt, and he moved Joseph into Egypt by using jealousy and envy of his own brothers. He sent his son into the world to do what? To die on the cross. Now, Jesus couldn't die any other way and be our Savior. If they'd thrown him off that cliff, as we read about in the Gospel of Luke, when he was in the synagogue, and he quoted a scripture to them that was delivered unto him, the scroll to read, just like we read the scripture. Brother McKnight read the scripture this morning. That's what they did. And Jesus read the passage from Isaiah, said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has anointed me to deliver those from the prison house. He has delivered me. He has anointed me to heal the sick. When he finished that, he closed up the scroll, and the scripture says, He said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, that didn't upset him too much, but he didn't stop there. He said, and, (laughs) and you read in your own Bibles that there was a widow down in the land, and he named the land, and he said there were many widows in Israel, many widows in Israel. And God didn't do anything for those widows in Israel, but he sent his prophet down to that one widow who was a Gentile. This is in a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue on a Sabbath morning. He said, he passed by all the Jewish widows, and he sent a man, his prophet, to a Gentile widow. And he supplied for her. Then he said there were many people in in Israel who had leprosy. Terrible disease. When you had leprosy, how would you like it when you have coronavirus? If when you go into Walmart, you have to say, unclean, unclean, and you got a mask on your face. Hey, we got masks, don't we? 
They had to have a mask on their face, and when somebody approached them, they had to cry out, unclean. And Jesus said there were many people that had leprosy in Israel, but unto none of them was, was the prophet sent, but unto Naaman the Syrian, who was a Gentile. And he told him to go down and dip down in the Jordan River, not once, not twice, seven times. And when he dipped in the river and he came up the seventh time or the eighth time, his skin was as clean as a little baby that's just born. And when Jesus said that in the, in the Sunday morning synagogue, it says they rose up in wrath. Why? Because you see, God doesn't owe anybody anything. He doesn't owe the Jews something because they're akin to Abraham. Jesus himself was born of Jewish parents. And he said God bypassed all the Jews and he did something for a Gentile widow and he did something for a Syrian leper and passed by all of the people in Israel. And they rose up in wrath and they grabbed him and they took him out of the city and he said they were going to throw him off of a cliff. Well, if they had thrown him off a cliff, he wouldn't be our savior. I told you this long story because he came into the world to die on a cross. But to get him on a cross, God used the devil who put it into the heart of Judas. And he used Judas who determined to betray the Lord and he went to the Jews and he got 30 pieces of silver. And he used the Jews who hated the Lord Jesus and he used the Romans. And he used all of these things to get his son to the cross that he might die for somebody. That's exactly what he did. And he used these brothers of Joseph to get him down into Egypt. And now they can't survive without help from the brother that they hated, that they were jealous of, that they were envious of, and that they sold. And you know something, ladies and gentlemen, we can't get through the present famines of life nor the coming famine of death, nor eternity without the man, Christ Jesus. Lesson number two. It was completely futile, completely futile for the sons of Jacob to go to the governor without Benjamin. We saw that, verses three and verse five. He said, don't you show up here in front of me again, unless you have Benjamin. The governor could not be approached without Benjamin. Jesus is God's Benjamin. And we can't gain an audience with the Father unless we have God's Benjamin with us. Lesson number three, it was not possible to lie or to deceive the man. That's the implication of verses six and seven. When Jacob said, why did you even tell him you had a brother? <laughs> they said, well, he asked us, he probed. We don't have everything he said here, but he probed and you couldn't lie to him. You couldn't lie to him. Later on, we'll see that he hid a cup, a cup, in their sack. And he said, don't you know a man like me can divine? <laughs> don't you know I know what you're doing? And people, you cannot deceive the Lord's man who sits upon the throne. He knows what we are. He knows what we've done. And this is what it means to confess your sins to it. First John 1, 9. You name your sins. It comes from, a, from a, as I've said before, from the, from, the, from the courtroom. And once you cite exactly what you're confessing, you don't just say, I have sinned. You tell him what your sins are. Name them. And if you do, he's faithful and just for the sake of the man 
Jesus to forgive us of our sins and to keep on cleansing us from unrighteousness. Lesson number four, the man, Joseph, the man, was interested in only two things. He was interested in his blood brother, Benjamin, and uh, that is verse seven, and that he was interested in knowing about his father. He asked about his father, is the old man Still alive? You certainly read that in chapter 42. And then in chapter 43 here, you get down to, let me get over to chapter 43 in my Bible. You get down to verse uh, 27, verse 27 of Genesis 43. He asked them of their welfare, and he said, Is your father well? Is the old man of whom you spoke, is he alive? He's interested in two things, Benjamin and his father. That's all he's interested in. He's not interested in knowing about how things are going down the neighborhood and if little Johnny that he used to be friends with is still there. He's interested in knowing about his brother and he's interested in knowing about his father. And I suggest to you that Jesus is interested in knowing about his brothers and sisters in this world, he cares for you. If you have trusted him, I want to tell you, he cares for you. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. All of these brothers and sisters we've mentioned this morning who are sick, who are ill, who are afflicted, I want them to know that Jesus cares for them. He loves them. He cares for them. And just like Joseph was interested in his father, the Lord Jesus Christ, in all that he did, he did it to glorify his father. He did it for the glory of his father. He did it to fulfill the will and the purpose of his father. He said, I always do those things that please him. When he was baptized, the father spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Number five. Notice this. This is getting beyond what we looked at today. They were invited to the man's house only after he saw Benjamin. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, chapter 43. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of the house, you bring these men to my home, Slay some mutton, some lambs, and make ready. These men are going to dine with me at noon. But he didn't invite them to his house until after he saw his brother. Those only will be invited into the house of the man in heaven to the great banquet who have God's Benjamin with them. Number six. Only the servant of the man. Let's look at verses 19 through 24. I really should save this till next week. Joseph had a servant. He was called a steward in verse 19. And it was the steward that Joseph said, Look, I want you to take the money and put it in each of their sacks. Okay? And then there were some other things that he did. That steward that did the will of Joseph is a wonderful picture of the Spirit of God. The Lord Jesus said that when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself. He will show you things about me. He will reveal me, and he will show you things to come. Only the servant of the man knew the plan and the purpose and the will of the man and could reveal it. And we'll look at some of that more next time. Those are the six lessons. The seventh lesson and final lesson is this. Jacob, you know, said take double money and take all of these gifts. We read that just a moment ago. Verse 11, take double money, take these gifts, and present all of these gifts to the man. 
But the man in heaven doesn't need anything that we can give him. He's just interested in one thing. Are we interested in his son? That's all. Are we interested in his son? What do you think of Jesus? That is the scheme. That is the question to ask, to answer, if you're going to appear before God in heaven in peace. He's not interested in double money. (laughs) I appreciate all of you who give to this ministry. We don't even pass a plate here. We just have a box out there. You You give according to as the Lord leads you to give or as you feel impressed to give. I appreciate that. But the Lord doesn't save on the basis of what we give or what we do or how much we do. He's only interested, just like Joseph, he's only interested in his Benjamin. That's verses 25 through through 29. The Father only has eyes for Christ, and he will be looking for him in all who come before him, not at all at the presence that we bring. And a man is a fool if he brings anything to say, look what we've done. I'll tell you what, let's look at two passages and then I'm through. Matthew chapter 7 and John chapter 19. Matthew chapter 7 and John chapter 19. Matthew 7 and John 19. Okay. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, one of the most terrifying verses, I think, in the Bible, in verse 22, many will say in that, name, in that day, have we not prophesied in your name? Didn't we preach and teach in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? Whether that means literally casting out devils or people came to know the truth, were saved under our ministry. In thy name did we not do many wonderful works? Didn't we build buildings in your name? Didn't we give money in your name? Didn't we do all that? He, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Verse 23. We must know the man Christ Jesus if we are to appear before God Almighty in peace. We must know him. Say, well, I know him. Good. Seek to know more of him. If you know him, you want to know more of him. The second passage is John chapter 19. John's gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 19. Verse 1, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, beat him. Then the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put put on him a purple robe. This is after they'd beaten him. His back was a mass of, it was a mess. And his face, so they'd beat him. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate went forth and said, Behold, I'll bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Verse 5, Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. Behold the man, the man Christ Jesus. Behold him. We could take Pilate, of course. He's saying, here he is. You wanted him. I've delivered him unto you. But I hope we can behold him and all of his sufferings and all that he had to go through for poor, wicked sinners as we are, that we can behold him 
as our Lord, as our Savior, as the one who has delivered us from the famine of this world and the famine that is coming in eternity. Behold the man. It's a good place to stop today. Let's stand together. Our Lord Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died to save us from our sins. Have you beheld him in his suffering for you? Have you beheld him in, in his uh, taking your place, standing in your womb and in your stead? All of the blows that I deserve, he took. All of the judgment that should come upon me from heaven, he experienced. It's very important that you understand that we're not saved by our experience. We're saved by his experience. I tell you this all the time. We're not saved by what we've done for Jesus. We're saved by what Jesus has done for us. We're not saved by our love for Jesus. We ought to love him. But we are saved because he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. And so I say to you this morning as we close, behold the man on the cross bearing in his body our sins, becoming our substitute, giving to us the righteousness that he earned. I might teach you about this Tuesday night. The righteousness he earned, he gives to us. The judgment we earned, God gave to him.